0: story that's found in all of the Gospels. In the book of John John tells us that it was six days before the Passover when this happened. Six days before the Passover. You can go ahead and skip to the picture. I'm just going to tell you the story. You saw it. You can read it in John 12 of your own. I just want to tell you the story. Six days before the Passover. The Passover You know what the Passover is? Only the most important meal and celebration in all of Jewish culture and life. The meal that commemorated the event that would forever form their identity and their belief in who they are and who God was. It was six days when this happened before the meal would be celebrated that they had done every year for 1,500 years as the nation of Israel, to remember that at one time they were slaves in the country of Egypt. They had lived there for 400 years, multiplying, growing, perhaps one, perhaps two million strong in the nation of Egypt. But enslaved, oppressed, living in a different country with a different language among people of different customs, different ways of dressing, different ways of eating, different religion, and different gods. But there came a moment in time when God chose to deliver his people from that slavery and oppression. And he raised up a young man named Moses. A child who was almost killed, who was raised in Pharaoh's palace, who grew up amongst a language and a people that he didn't know, who had to then go on the run from where he lived because he killed an Egyptian and was living in the wilderness for 40 years when God came to this man, this immigrant, with a criminal record, and said, I choose you. Go. Set my people free. So Moses returned to the home of the people that he had grown up with. And he laid down the challenge. He said, Alright, it's go time. Your God versus my God. He said, I know all about your gods. I've studied them. I know their names. I know what you believe about them. But I just met the one true living guy in a burning bush out in the wilderness. And he gave me his name. And his name was simply I Am. Yahweh. So we're about to go down. Let's get this on. Your God versus my God. Let's go. And through a series of miracles and signs and wonders and plagues and curses, tried to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites, the people of God, go. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. He hardened his heart. It was hard. He would not let the people go. Finally, Yahweh said, that's it. I've had enough. It's time to end this thing. If you do not let my people go, then the angel of death will pass through your entire country, and every firstborn child will die. But Moses told the people of Israel, do not worry. God will protect you. Here's what you do. Get a meal. You're going to have to make it quick. You can't do it like you normally do it. And you're going to eat this meal together. And the main course of this meal is going to be some lamb. And you're going to take the lamb and you're going to sacrifice it for this meal. And you're going to take the blood of that lamb. And you're going to paint it on the doorpost of your house. And then when the angel of death comes through the land, the angel will see the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your house. And he will pass over you, their freedom, their deliverance, their salvation, signified by the blood of the lamb. It was six days before the Passover, because Jesus chose to die on the cross for our sins at Passover. The reason should be pretty obvious, right? John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples is very famous. We call it the Last Supper, the last meal before he went to the cross. So in a very real way, this meal, this gathering that happened, was the second to last supper. It was the supper before the last supper. It was six days before the Passover, and Jesus was sitting in the home of Lazarus. It says, actually, that Jesus was in the house where Lazarus lived. Now, that sounds kind of normal until you realize that it wasn't that long ago that Lazarus was dead. He had been in the grave. So to say this was the home where Lazarus lived has a certain kind of power to him because Jesus and just recently raised him from the dead. But that's another story for another day. In fact, two weeks from now, you're gonna hear a sermon on that story, so you need to come back. <laughs> Next week, our friend Pastor Roberto from Mexico is here. He's yes. gonna preach with us the and we're gonna share meals together while he's here. Because that's what you do as family. That's what you do as friends. You share a meal. And Jesus was BFFs with Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And so we see in the scene that Jesus is at their home getting ready for a meal that was given in his honor. I think if the Lord raised your brother from the dead, you would throw a meal in his honor. And it says that Lazarus is reclining at the table and they are relaxing and they are enjoying each other's company, maybe a glass of wine and the appetizers before we go. And we see in this scene, you don't see her. She's in the background. She kind of always stayed in the background. It was Martha, It says that Martha was serving. Martha was serving as Jesus was reclining, as Lazarus was reclining. That Martha was serving and getting things ready. You know, it reminds me of that other story, doesn't it? You know what story I'm talking about? Mary and Martha. Remember when Jesus was at their house a little while before that? Right? And Martha was running around get everything ready. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Running around to get everything ready. And her sister was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, not helping. And she's like, Jesus, don't you care that I'm doing all the work? And my sister, she's not helping me. How many of you can relate? Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Martha was probably com- competent, right? She could probably do it herself. In fact, that scene is probably not out of place. It probably happened a lot, given people's personalities. But she was concerned. She was upset. But not just about the fact that she was doing all the work, because Martha served. That's who Martha was, and she always served. But there was something else going on. There was another layer that was happening that you've got to pay attention to this morning. You've got to understand. You see, with her sitting at Jesus' feet, it created an image, a picture that was radical, that was scandalous, that was offensive to the Jewish people. Why, do you ask? Would Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus cause such an uproar? Because that wasn't her place in that society. Martha's saying, Mary, don't you know your place? See, Jesus was a rabbi. Jesus was a spiritual teacher of the law in the Israel. And rabbis would teach their disciples by having their disciples sit at their feet. So whenever you saw a rabbi sitting down to teach and you saw someone sitting at their feet, it would be like today if you saw someone sitting at a desk with a pencil and in front of them was a person on a whiteboard with a pen. You would immediately know, ah, they're in class. Teacher, student, rabbi, disciple, master, follower. But you know what the interesting thing about it is? The problem, the reason that it caused such a disruption was because women were not allowed to be disciples. That was not the woman's place. The woman's place was with Martha, getting everything ready. But Mary had the boldness to go where no man had gone before. And she sat at the feet of Jesus and said, I want to be a disciple too. And Jesus said, yes, men and women will be my disciples. Praise God today for the bold women who don't know their place but run to Jesus and don't care what other people think. Amen. Amen. Praise God for the bold women who know what they want to do and are willing to suffer whatever in order to do what God has called them to do. So once again, we find Martha serving, but notice this time she's not worried about what anybody else thinks. She's not worried about anybody else. She's not worried about her sister any longer, but she's still serving. And here we find Mary once again at the feet of Jesus. This time she's not listening, she's worshipping. This time she's not taking in the teachings, she's coming with her jar of perfume to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does Mary bring? She brings a pint of Nard. Nard was this very aromatic, strong, almost pungent perfume that was from India. It was very, very expensive. It was said it was worth about a year's wages, this jar of perfume. Meaning that in today's money, that would be about $25,000. Can you imagine a jar of perfume that costs $25,000? And she brings them, and it was so pungent, it was so aromatic that the smell would have filled the entire house. And not only that, if she put it on Jesus' feet, as indeed she did. And the other gospel writers say that they poured it, she poured it on his head as well. So he was covered from head to toe. It's very likely that the smell still would have been on him when he went to the cross. You still could have whiffed. This anointing oil on his very skin as it was being pierced by the nails that would hang him to the cross. It was extravagant what she did. It was scandalous what she did. Not only was she sitting at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, this time she lets down her hair and, oh no, you didn't do that back then. Women never let down their hair in public, especially in front of men, and never in front of someone who wasn't their husband. What Mary did, the scene that you saw, was intimate, was extravagant, was scandalous. But it was Mary's worship to God. When was the last time our worship has been accused of being extravagant and scandalous? And it, it caused some problems. Not everyone was happy with this scene. John says that Judas, the one who was going to betray Jesus, spoke up. He had an objection to this. But to be fair, it wasn't just him. The other gospel writers say the other disciples shared his concern. He said, what a waste. That could have been sold and the money given to the poor. But John, in writing this story, John, in thinking back to this moment many years later, remembers that Judas' heart was not in the right place. Mm -hmm. That Judas was pretending to care about the poor, but he was really thinking about himself. For they were soon to discover that Judas, the bookkeeper of the group, had not been honest. He had skipped some money off the top from time to time. And so while he pretended to care for the poor, he was really thinking about himself. God save us from those who pretend to care about the poor, but are really just thinking about themselves. And it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It sounds like something we would say because we want to be good stewards of what God has given to us. And we, th- we think, well, yeah, I would not have that thought. Why are we spending all this money? Why is this money being wasted when we can go over here and we can help the poor? And Jesus makes a very interesting response. I don't want to leave this part out. He says, leave her alone. <laughs> God bless you with that word you it today. If you're following God's will and plan for your life and there are those that don't understand it, and they're criticizing you. May you hear the voice of Jesus today saying, leave him alone. Leave him alone. There's a purpose, Judas, in what she's doing. She's been saving this. She didn't even know for what. But she's saving it so that I might be anointed for my burial. You see, the poor are always going to be with you, but I'm right here right now. At one of the most significant moments in human history. And she is doing exactly what she needs to do at this moment. The poor are always going to be with you. And I think Jesus is also saying, and there will always be enough to take care of the poor. Right? That's the mindset that Jesus wants us to get out of. We have a mindset of scarcity. We have a mindset of limited. But God has a mindset of abundance and unlimited. Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? We think in terms of scarcity and limits, but God is abundant and unlimited. Amen. And there is more than enough to anoint him with oil and take care of all of the poor that there are. Jesus was actually quoting Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Old Testament. And it's interesting, in that passage, God says, I care for the poor. Deuteronomy 15. In fact, I care so much for the poor, that I command you to care for the poor. Judas was almost right. Oh, did you hear that? (laughs) Judas was almost right. But his heart was in the wrong place. Because God does care for the poor. He said, listen, Israelites, you are going to have poor people among you. And what I want you to do is don't harden your heart to the poor people. Don't be tight-fisted, but rather be generous and open-handed with the poor. For this is what I command you to do. Because I want you to be generous and care for them. Because the poor are always going to be with you in the land of Israel. And I want you to be generous. And don't grudge in your heart what you give to the poor. Don't look to get paid back. Because if you do that, I, the Lord God, dolly, will bless the work of your hands. Everything that you do will be blessed when you give to the poor. Amen? Amen? I got two people that believe that this I got five people that believe that story. You will be blessed in abundance when you care for the poor. The poor will always be among us and there will always be enough that God gives us to care for the poor and for each other and for one another. It wasn't long after that, for reasons of his own, perhaps even the next day, Judas went to the chief priest and said, I'll give Jesus to you. I'll betray the for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was looking for what he could get. Mary was looking for what she could give.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How many of us approach God, church, religion, whatever, thinking about what can I get rather than what can I give? You know, there comes a time, friends. Can I speak to the Christians for a moment? Can I speak to those of you who are mature for just a moment? There comes a time when you've received enough. And maybe the only reason that you get out of bed and you come to church is because God wants you to give something to somebody else. Every time we decide to do something else and not gather together, it's okay. God works through everything. And I pray that during those times, God brings you to people that you need to minister to in that moment. But God, keep us from that spot where we think, I don't need it today. But maybe someone else here does. Maybe God was using you to bring a blessing, to bring encouragement to someone else. See, a lot of us, we get into that mindset about, well, how much do I give to God? How much of my life should be dedicated to God? You know, what are the limits of my worship? But this story is an over-the-top, crazy story of giving extravagantly to God not caring about anything else. God wants us to give him our best. God wants us to give him our best. We don't always have money to give God, do we? We don't always have money. But she brought what she had. Sometimes all we can give is maybe a talent, maybe some work, maybe our time. That is a gift to God as well. Because we're bringing God our best, right? We're bringing him our best. Whatever that is, we're bringing him our best. And we're, I, I want us to think about being extravagant, being generous, going over the top in our worship of God. In fact, I want to say this. If you bring God your best, let him take care of the rest. Amen. Bring God your best and let him take care of the rest. There will always be enough. There will always be enough. And you know, it is a matter of trust, and I understand that. When we give to a church, when we take an offering, when we give even our time and our energy, we trust. I understand that, and I want you to know that this church understands that, this leadership. When we give you trust us to do what is right, to handle the money in the right way. And we don't have any Judases that are standing off the top. I understand that. And so we have to trust God when we give, don't we? We have to trust God, that God will take that, and God will use that, and that everyone will be provided for, and God will be worshipped. Amen? Today, we get an opportunity to give. Today, we get an opportunity to think about what we give to worship God. My challenge today is very simple. Are you giving God your best? Have you yet thought about what it would mean to be extravagant, to be scandalous? To be like Mary, who I think long ago gave up caring what anybody thought about her. She just knew that she loved Jesus and Jesus loved her. She had been forgiven by Jesus. She had been healed by Jesus. She had been restored by Jesus. She had been befriended by Jesus. Jesus had raised her brother from the dead and given him back to her. She didn't want nothing else but to just worship Jesus and just be in his presence. Have we yet reached that point in our lives where we understand the great, great love of God for us? And what did Jesus give to us? Right, friends? He gave himself. He gave himself. It was just a few days later that Jesus would sit down at the table again with his disciples. And the Passover meal would be laid out. Let's bring the table this morning, shall we? We're going to participate, not exactly the same, but in a similar way how the Jews remember Passover for 1,500 years. It's now been 2,000 years that we as Christians have celebrated this meal to remember the true lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and how he saved us from sin and death. So this is the table we've been restoring for the past few weeks. Our own Bezalel and Aholiath have been working on this. (laughs)
1: Laughter
0: and today, as they set up the table, we remember that when Jesus sat down to this table, he took the elements of the Passover meal, and he said, we're going to remix this a bit, right? Yeah. He took the bread. When he gave thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. His disciples, not still truly understanding what it was, but they had to remember that Mary had just anointed him for his burial. Like, What's going on, Jesus? This is my body that's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of wine that they shared at every Passover. And he said, This cup now, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The blood of the Lamb that saved us so many years ago has become the blood of myself, which will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins, for deliverance and healing and life everlasting. And whenever we partake, we remember proclaiming proclaim the gift that Jesus gave to each and every person that we receive. Jesus gave us way more than we could ever give Him. Amen. Jesus was extravagant. Jesus was over the top. Jesus was scandalous. He held nothing back when He gave to us such a great gift. Does it not almost demand that we bring our best to God? Amen. That we give Him what we have. Don't worry about what you don't have. Bring your best and let God take care of us. Bring your best and let God take care of us. Everyone of you this morning were given a couple things. when We came in, I hope. One is the offering of the Lord we will receive our tithes and offerings today in light of this message. And some of you may have already given, that's great. Some of you give online, and that's great. But I wanted today for us to just kind of enact that, that, that process of giving to God, that we do bring to God our tithes and our offerings. So I encourage you to use that this morning if you have something to give. And if you've already given just this one Sunday, I want you to think about, can I give any more? Can I be any more during this? Maybe this, maybe this Sunday, maybe in response to this story, to this example of Mary, you want to give some more today, and I encourage you to do that. Maybe you gave online, and that's great. We love people to give online. And just so when you come forward and put it in the jars, you don't feel out of place, you can just write in there, I gave online. <laughs> and you can just drop it in, and that'll be fine too. In fact, you can get out your phones and give online before you leave. This you go to our website, HartfordCitychurch.com. But also, to understand that it's not just the money you bring. It is the money we bring. But it's also other things. You have a little card that says, my gift to Jesus. Maybe it's not money for you this morning. Maybe you've already been at peace with that. Or maybe you feel like I'm not in a place where I can do that. That's okay. Would you write down what it is that you have that you can bring to God? And I don't know about that. I mean, that can be anything. Would you write down what is it that you would bring to God? If Jesus said, John, bring me your best. What would it be? What would you write down? What would you write in that box? I encourage you to do that, to fill out that card as well. And then when you come forward this morning in just a minute, we're going to give you a chance to put those offerings and that card of commitment in these jars as an act of worship. And then as you come and you give your best, you're going to receive communion, which is God's best for you. And you're going to receive the gift that Jesus Christ gives to each and every one of us. And this is for anyone that has given their life to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pause for just a moment, if I might, and say that if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, we encourage you to do that. And that forgiveness and salvation is a free gift. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything that I've just said. You can pray in your heart and believe, and you can walk out of here, and God would start working in your life in ways you can't yet understand. It's very simple. I call it the ABCs of being saved. Admit that you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for your sins, and commit your life to Him. That. That's it. I have you today say yes, God. I'm a sinner. I know I'm messed up, but I know that I need freedom. I need healing in my life. Believe that Jesus Christ did, in fact, die on the cross for your sins, as he said. Say, Jesus, I believe you, I receive you, and then say, I will commit my life to you. It's almost like taking that card, my gift to Jesus is me, and I give it to you. And when I give it to you, Jesus says, here is eternal life. Here is life that is truly life. Here is the you that is really you, that you never knew about it. Amen. Amen, 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 yes. Amen. So when you put your offering, your card, your commitment in the jars, you can come and you can take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Or you can take a piece of bread from one of the little um, cups right here.